is interesting having this feed in the main feed to keep in mind because I have like announcements and shit that I want to make, but I can't really do it right now because it's not the main feed. So like four people are going to hear this. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> at least at the beginning when we it comes you. out. So we love you four people. Yes. Trevor Moore, comedian from Whitest Kids You Know, which we've referenced a million times. So many times. So many fucking times on this show. Um, he passed away at the age of 41. And as it stands right now, like I looked it up, I tried to see what happened and it said an unspecified accident. So yeah. I don't know if that means like a, a vehicular accident or yeah. like an overdose or something. I don't know, but it sucks. It really fucking sucks because yeah. he, he was like, I didn't realize how important he was to me. Yeah. And I, we've talked about this before, like celebrity deaths affecting you. Like, do they really affect me in a way that i'm i'm like genuinely sad and like put in a bad mood like that one that one did yeah that one was that one sucked technically we could cover him at some point because he was also a musician a lot of the comedy sketches that they did yeah. for whitest kids you know involved songs and and music yeah i should have worn my gal in a pcp shirt for recording this yeah but yeah we could cover him (laughs) i forgot we'll just get a gal in a pcp (laughs) you've seen that one i've seen gal in a pcp we watched that recently yeah we'll probably have to post up some videos on the facebook page eventually but uh we are ready here for oh shit do you have to do a thing? Do, do it. Do you want me to introduce us? I can do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, we're okay. like five minutes in, but let's go. Yeah. All right. Jake. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Death by Music Podcast. I am Jake, as always, uh, joined by Cassie and Alex here. Uh, we are going on to part two of Kurt Cobain. Yes. So um, if you haven't heard part one yet, go back and listen to it. Yeah. And by the way, thanks to our four subscribers at this point in time. <laughs> we appreciate you guys. No, that's awesome. We got a Kate, and we get, well, we got two Kathleen's. Isn't that wild? Two Kathleen's. Wow. So fifty percent of our subscribers right now are named Kathleen. Oh my god! Now everyone else, change your name. Yeah, right <laughs> now. Spelled, Even you, Mike. They're spelled the same too. <laughs> yeah. Mike, you're now Kathleen. <laughs> Sources. Sources. All right. The Hollywood Reporter, uh, StereoGum.com, CBS News, Wikipedia, mm. uh, Biography.com, NPR article by Rachel Martin and Vince Pearson. We've got a radiox.co.uk article with no author listed. Rolling Stone, an article on Kurt's downward spiral by Neil Strauss. An NME article by Luke Morgan Britton. An LA Times article by Robert Hilburn. CBSnews.com article by Greg Fisher. Jake's friend Kevin. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> did he know Kurt? He, he had some information that helped me on some of these sections. Okay. So I figured <laughs> what I'd were him his sources? Kevin. All right. uh, I don't Kevin. know. I'll have to ask him. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great Catherine right here. Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, SM, SMH.com.au, um, Australia. Mm-hmm. It's a Sydney Morning Herald article by Sarah Keowen. Now, fast forward to the part in the story. Let's see. Uh, part two of Kurt Cobain. At this point, he had overdosed in Rome on about 50 pills, according to Courtney. Um, He'd come back home to an intervention and then decided to go to rehab while Courtney Love was in an outpatient program for her own addictions. Kurt just did a two-day stint at rehab, and then he scaled a wall and hopped a flight back to Seattle. Neighbors later claimed to have seen him looking sick in a park, wearing a heavy coat. And it was April, so this was pretty odd behavior. Others say that they saw him with a friend near his home. 
on April 2nd, Cobain went back to that gun shop in Seattle. We know this because he had a receipt for firearm shells. He told his taxi driver that he needed the shells because his house had been robbed. So six days went by and then he was found dead in his home on April 8th. Nobody is really certain what happened during those six days, but we'll jump into those theories in a minute. Cobain was found dead in the greenhouse over his garage on a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Gary T. Smith, an electrical employee, um, he for working for a company, I guess, found him as, while he was on the job to install some security lighting. He, he saw Cobain through a window and thought he must be sleeping, but then he saw blood oozing from Cobain's ear and found a suicide note as well that had a pen stuck through it inside of a pl- flower pot. Which a is power like, flat. Power flat. You know, the <laughs> dyslexic one. So, the Remington... <laughs> and that's not Jake. <laughs> um, the Remington Model 11... Is it 1120 gauge? No. no, it's model 1120 gauge. Okay. <laughs> There's a comma there. Cassie don't know what guns I don't know. Mean. What are guns? <laughs> <laughs> the Remington model 1120 gauge shotgun he'd gotten days earlier was found on Cobain's chest. The shotgun wasn't checked for fingerprints until May 6th, 1994. And while four latent prints were lifted, they were unusable. So the Remington Model 11 is a licensed version of the Browning Auto 5, a semi-auto shotgun produced in 12, 16, and 20-gauge variants, 20-gauge being the smallest. Uh, Seattle Police released photos in 2016 of Detective Michael Szynski. Try to read that name without being from the Midwest. Um, (laughs) Yes, uh, Detective Michael Szynski holding the shotgun. Uh, Now, I I was expecting it to be a regular run-of-the-mill pump action shotgun but it's a semi-auto model which really doesn't make a difference however mm. i did notice what appears to be a rather large compensator slash adjustable choke on the end of the barrel so this is significant because assuming this is the gun that killed cobain it's adding what looks to be another six or so inches to the end of an already full-length shotgun huh what does this mean for the story plot so you got a so, full-size shotgun, and then yeah. he's adding length onto it, and okay. he's obviously not holding the shotgun in a normal fashion to, to kill right. himself. He's got it flipped around, so you're putting length on that. So, so it's a little this little harder to pull a trigger on a gun that is right. With your six hand feet away from you. He could have used a tone. Seattle police reported the shotgun was inverted on Cobain's chest with his left hand wrapped around the barrel. The King County Medical Examiner noticed puncture wounds on the inside of both Cobain's left and right elbows. Hmm. The Seattle Post Intelligencer reported that Cobain was high on heroin when he pulled the trigger. The paper reported the toxicological test determined that the level of morphine in Cobain's bloodstream was 1.52 milligrams per liter, and there was further evidence of Valium in his blood. Cobain's heroin level was at a high concentration by any account, but according to Randall Baselet of the Chemical Toxicological Institute, the strength of the dose would depend on many factors, including Cobain's tolerance level. So I tried looking up what the average milligrams per liter of heroin in the bloodstream is, like what that number would be that would cause an overdose, because it said his was at 1.52. Yeah. But it honestly made it look like I was trying to Google how to commit suicide. Um, so mm-hmm. I did find that heroin has a short half-life. So basically, you'd have to use it. I didn't know this, uh, how long it lasts or whatever the fuck, but you basically would have to use it multiple times a day to stay high. Yeah. And you obviously develop a tolerance over time to reach 
the same high. So an overdose is common because you don't always know how much you're really taking per dose. It's not like uh, regulated or whatever. Um, So when you overdose, your breathing effort and your heart rate decrease. So you become sedated and have constricted pupils. You can slip into a coma, followed by cardiac arrest if no life-saving measures are taken. Jeez, I think I'll stick to a good old beer. You know how much you're getting. It says it right on the bottle. And uh, usually relatively easy to keep track of most of the time. Yeah. So you got, you know, you just count your bottles, keep track of them. And as long as you don't drink every day, you won't have a super high tolerance. Yeah, that too. Or just don't eat anything and then drink and then you'll get drunk. Four rolls of film were shot and left in an evidence vault. So they had taken pictures like on the scene and those rolls of film were not developed until March of 2014. Like, don't you think that would be interesting just to see the fucking pictures, even if it's case closed? Right. I don't know. Um, So there was a cold case investigator, Mike Sizinski. 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 That guy asked to see them. And then the images were available as of 2016. Mike still thinks that it was a suicide even after seeing them. Yeah. And actually, I mean, as morbid as it sounds, I looked them up because it helped kind of clarify some of the theories, but also some of the evidence that we talked about. Right. Right. So like the flower pot thing, I was like, what random person just puts a note with a pin through it in a flower pot? Yeah, I think they showed a lot of the images in that documentary soaked in bleach. They like painted the picture, basically. So I'm vaguely familiar with what the scene actually looked like from that, but I didn't look up the actual photos. Um, But yeah, so now we're going to go into some different theories of Kurt Cobain's death. And obviously this is graphic. So like, I mean, come on. We're all adults here. Hopefully. (laughs) Yeah, hopefully. If you got kids (laughs) using Patreon, they might see some titties. What? Not on our feed. <laughs> that sounds like a threat. Say, what's our account info? Give it to me. <laughs> um, not on our feed, but, you know, there are some titties to be sold on Patreon. All right. So Richard Lee, he was a host with Seattle Public Access, airing the first public objection to the ruling of suicide. He had a series called Kurt Cobain Was Murdered, where he blasted out discrepancies filed in the police reports. Lee noted several changes in the nature of the shotgun blast and also got his hands on a video showing the scene around Kurt's body shot from a tree outside of the garage. He found it interesting that there really wasn't a whole lot of blood on the scene for someone who'd been shot in the head, but several pathology experts say that when the barrel is placed in the mouth, less blood spreads. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. There would certainly be less splatter with it being contained in the mouth, uh, but what about at the opposite end of his head? Right. So I'm not a ballistics expert, but I figure a 20 gauge shotgun point blank can obviously do some severe damage. That kind of force could possibly blow the back of the skull out, I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, maybe, right. maybe because it's a smaller uh, size, it's a 20 gauge. It's not 12 gauge like everybody's you know familiar with. Right. 20 gauge is a lot smaller round. Maybe that combined with what type of load it was would have been more contained. Like his skull definitely would have been fractured, but maybe right. not completely blown out because it's a smaller yeah. round. So what I think with those smaller rounds is they get into your skull and then they basically just rattle around because they don't have enough power at that point. Like once they've passed through the initial bones and shit right. to exit, to create an exit wound. So they just kind of, I think they just scramble your fucking brain up. Yeah. And that's where I'm thinking what type of load it is. Cause you can get slugs, you can get target load or bird shot. Those BBs are very tiny. Mm-hmm. They, they don't have a lot of mass. There's a lot less energy for them to, dissipate so right and to it's not like a regular bone yeah it's not like a regular bullet 
yeah, that initial blast is right in the back of your mouth. That's going to blow out that bone, but the yeah. smaller BBs aren't, they're just going to so it makes lose sense all their energy his, and get his, stuck in there. Yeah. If his brain was all scrambled then the drip of, um, blood coming from his yeah, ear makes that sense. would make sense. Hmm. Ew, this is so morbid. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Tom Grant. Here's where we get into the docudrama soaked in bleach. Tom is the main source of evidence in the film. He's a private investigator that Courtney Love hired to track down Kurt. He's very suspicious of what happened, saying it's full of lies, contradictions in logic, and countless inconsistencies. He thinks that people were covering up what happened out of greed and business deals and claims that Courtney and those surrounding her have actively tried to keep the facts from getting out. Now, Tom has a theory that Kurt wouldn't have been physically able to shoot himself due to the amount of heroin in his system. He thinks that the heroin dose was used to incapacitate Kurt and that someone else shot him afterwards. Keep in mind, Grant is looking at the dosage report from the Seattle Post-Intelligencer, not the actual autopsy, so the figures could be incorrect. Okay, so he doesn't have, like, the true facts of the case. He's just going off of what somebody else said was possible yeah um he was able to make a photocopy of the suicide note which you can find online Mm -hmm. he raises some suspicions about the note saying kurt was attempting to leave courtney and the music industry things he claimed he wanted to do in the past rather than kill himself the last lines on the note do imply suicide but they're written very differently than the rest of the note and might have been scribbled afterwards by the murderer You still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping. You feel me? Loading them up on. It, it only takes structure. And, and, you know, just paying attention to the climate of the game. Yeah. Know what I mean? So do do your homies uh got a role in your in your little, you mean? Yeah, yeah. We all, we all artists over here, man. I'm trying, oh, yeah, I'm trying, yeah. I'm trying, I'm trying, oh, yeah. I'm trying to get them on there. Yeah. We all artists, man. We go, you feel me? We're going to have this like. Bro, me and my man, like me and my man Kyle, we be like, I don't know, we play, we play with this <laughs> shit right now. I gotta lie, we play with this shit right now for for. Oh, I gotta don't play with it. Don't play with it. No. Take that shit. Yeah, so like the way that the way that they're written is different, and also right. the, the way that it looks, like the tone sounds different, and then the physical handwriting is different. Um, than the rest yeah. of the letter. If you yeah. haven't seen it, you've probably seen it. Yeah, but you can look it up. We'll post a picture on our social media as well, um, just so you guys can kind of read it. It's just very bizarre. Looking. It's crazy too because the the website I found had like the physical handwritten one, and then like obviously it's really bad handwriting, so they like mm-hmm. retyped it, and I was like, oh, thank you, because I had no idea what this is. Yeah. Um, so after examining the original note, document examiner Janice Parker concluded Cobain had written it. However, when Dateline NBC sent a copy of the note to four different handwriting experts, only one concluded the entire note was written by Cobain. The other three stated it was inconclusive. Mm-hmm. Similarly, one of the three experts contacted by the TV series Unsolved Mysteries, shout out to my, my fam. <laughs> I love that show. <laughs> um, they expressed difficulty in drawing the conclusion from a photocopy versus the original. The other two experts found the writing, especially the last four lines, suspicious. Man, Unsolved Mysteries, that theme song used to creep me the <laughs> fuck out as a kid. I think I've talked about this before. My sister and I would like come or like during summers, we would watch Unsolved Mysteries like throughout the day because there was always a marathon on. And then by like seven o'clock at night, she'd be like, can I sleep in your room? Because we're freaking <laughs> out so bad. Yeah. <laughs> Grant was not a fan of the official report either because of circumstantial evidence. For example, the report claimed the doors of the greenhouse could not have been locked from the outside meaning Kurt would have locked himself in the room from the inside. Grant examined the doors and noticed they could be locked and pulled shut, 
but he also questioned the lack of fingerprint evidence as it took them so long to dust the room and the weapon for prints. Further Mm. reports also concluded that Cobain's fingerprints weren't found on the suicide note or the pin that was shoved through the note. Um, This would be normal had Cobain had gloves on, but he was obviously found not wearing gloves. And while Grant believes the circumstantial evidence doesn't exactly point to murder, he does argue that the case could have been left open and investigated more thoroughly, which is true. Yeah. I mean, they kind of just shut it. He also believes that the Rome incident was not a suicide attempt. Um, Prior to his death, those close to Cobain heavily denied that he wanted to die. If Cobain did want to, his friends and family would have known or been told so, so they could keep a closer eye on him. To me, this is kind of irrelevant because some people never reveal that side of their mental health. So I think that's just not... I agree. I'm I'm no mental health expert, but I'm pretty sure people don't get into that type of stuff if they're in that state of mind, right. like you just said. So right, because yeah. they don't want people to convince them not to because they're so set on the right. fact that I'm going to do this, and I know if I tell you I'm going to, then you right. are you're not. Gonna you're going to make sure you're going to put me in a psych ward. Yeah, or right. Whatever. Yep. Plus, they also don't want to be the like. So if something happens, and they're like, "Oh, well, he would have told me that." Like we were close. It's like no, that's not it wasn't for you to know it's like the most personal thing to right. tell somebody mm-hmm. also if the police had already previously kept guns out of kurt's possession twice leading up to this why would a friend purchase one for him regardless of if he thought it was for security reasons like obviously I, he wasn't telling everyone everything they needed to be knowing about what was going on well i wonder if if dylan carlson even knew that his previous guns had been confiscated he told them did he he told him the yeah. one time i don't think he knew that it had happened twice but oh, okay. when they when he took him to pick up that shotgun i think he, i'm pretty sure he just downplayed it like oh we got into a fight and then the cops came over and oh, so maybe. they took the guns but it's not like that's stupid it wasn't because it was suicidal like courtney just starting some bullshit and i need a gun because i need to protect my house and maybe that's also why he hmm. scheduled the appointment with the electric guy to put the security lights in to be like, yeah, see, like somebody came. I, pr- I promise that I am doing all of this because there are intruders. But like secretly, he just wanted the gun. If he was planning on doing it, why get a security camera installed? That's what I'm saying is he could have been using that to supplement his story. Like, oh, I'm just I just need a gun because I have intruders. And I'm, you know, so to prove this to you, I'm not just going to get a gun. I'm going to get security cameras installed and security lights oh. because it, it lends to people believing his story that he needs the gun for right, intruders. But now it's suspicious like somebody else killed him not himself yeah grant also spoke with love's attorney rosemary carroll at her office on april 13th 1994 and she pressed him to push an investigation on cobain's death as kurt was not suicidal carroll claims that cobain had asked her to draw up a will excluding love because he was planning to file for divorce this is what grant claims is the motive for cobain's death alleging kurt was murdered by courtney carroll also provided grant with a handwriting practice note she found in love's backpack that left or that was left at carroll's home I believe this was also mentioned in that documentary, Soaked in Bleach, mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. So the note had handwriting practice eerily similar to the last four lines found on the suicide note. So Grant contends that another motive for love to want Cobain dead was the finances. Mm-hmm. Um, he had turned down an offer to headline the 1994 Lollapalooza Festival, a nearly $10 million deal. Jesus, that's a lot of dough. <laughs> yeah. I would have taken that, quit music retired i'd buy a couple things and i just fuck off into the woods get away from people yeah, yeah how, sounds... how do you turn that down my god i mean they were the biggest band in the world so it's 10 million is probably like yeah whatever it's probably like I guess. i'll give you 15 dollars an hour to do this and you're like nah fuck you that's a comparison for us <laughs> <laughs> 
Sergeant Donald Cameron, one of the homicide detectives involved in the case, dismissed Grant's theory outright, saying that Grant hasn't shown us a shred of proof that this was anything other than suicide. Grant, in turn, has accused Cameron of being a personal friend of Courtney Love. Okay, so all of his theories are compelling. Right. But that's all that they are. They're theories. They're just as circumstantial as everything else. Right. Um, But some people, you know, watch that documentary and took it as fact. Yes. But it's it's interesting but it's still like not enough so now we go to ian halperin and max wallace they were studying the incident in rome and then contacted dr osvaldo galletta mm. who was the doctor to treat cobain after his overdose galletta galletta did mm. not believe i don't know why it's galletta probably yep Okay. Galetta did not believe that Rome or the overdose in Rome was a suicide attempt. And he also said that Courtney was wrong about Kurt needing 50 rohypnol pills to be removed from his stomach. Halpern and Wallace read Grant's findings and revealed that Grant believes that Courtney may have mixed a large number of pills into Kurt's champagne so that when he took a drink, he was actually unknowingly ingesting large amounts of the drug enough to kill him. However, the journalists disagree with his claim, stating if it were the case, why did Love call the police when she found him unconscious on the floor? If she had wanted Kurt dead, why didn't she just leave him on the floor? But yeah, it sounds like they're saying at this point that it wasn't necessarily a murder done by Courtney, but they think that the evidence is interesting and contradictory and deserves to be looked at. Yeah. And Dylan Carlson, a friend of Cobain, you know, the one that bought him the shotgun, told Halpern and Wallace that he did not believe Grant's theory that Kurt was murdered. He said if it was murder... He would have dealt with it himself. Uh, Okay, so Halpern and Wallace did, however, agree with Grant that Kurt wanted a divorce. Courtney apparently was looking for a vicious divorce lawyer because she'd signed a prenup and she wanted Kurt's money. They also found out that the coroner was also a friend of Courtney Love's, and this was a huge conflict of interest. While you can't just outright say that this was a murder, there is enough compelling evidence, I think, to reopen the case. So the duo of Halperin and Wallace, they ended up collaborating on a couple of books called Who Killed Kurt Cobain? And then they did uh, Love and Death, The Murder of Kurt Cobain. And I believe that Grant um, contributed to those as well. So now there's Nick Broomfield. He was the filmmaker responsible for Kurt and Courtney, also went off to on his own to investigate and interview people close to the couple. This included Love's estranged father, and I'm talking heavily emphasis on estranged. He left when she was a small child and did not speak to her from that point on. Like, they had no relationship. I think it's pretty shitty to kind of input this yeah, source well, from somebody his... who didn't even know his own daughter. And he's like, yeah, I think she fucking did it. And what? it's like, what opinion do you have that matters? But that is what people took to heart and started initially that her own dad said it yeah there's like her own dad said she was responsible like you yeah. have to believe him he know she knew her when she was like three right he's like yeah <laughs> she was a little fucking hellion when she was a toddler she murdered right. him right broomfield was able to interview a guy named el duce from the band <laughs> the mentors now these guys are shock rockers and they say shit to get a reaction so let's just say that you mm-hmm. know right off the bat the singer claimed that Courtney paid him $50,000 in a, to basically like she was taking out a hit on Kurt. Ugh. And he did say, well, well, I didn't do it, but he knew who did. And then he accidentally dropped the name Alan before backpedaling and saying, you know what? Like the FBI will sort it out. Ha 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 ha. I don't so know anything. So funny. 
Okay. Yeah. And then surprise, surprise, one of his bandmates admitted that it was later just a publicity stunt for their band. A couple of days after the interview, though, El Luce was hit by a train in the middle of the night. That's karma at its finest, y'all. Like, <laughs> like what in the fuck? go ahead. That's what you this get. Is, this is why you were asking about the trains. Remember you sent a oh, screenshot to yeah. the group and you were like, what the fuck is Google doing right now? Oh my God, did you do oh, a math problem, thing. Jake? Yeah, I was trying to Google. Jake was like, if the speed of the train is can traveling. You, can, you this- get your foot, <laughs> can you get your foot stuck in a train track or something like that? And and like before I finished it, Google auto-filled with a whole bunch of random shit. Oh, I'm okay, going to find yeah. it. <laughs> and then Alex was like, what are you actually trying to Google? <laughs> can you get your foot stuck in a giant clam? That was the suggestion <laughs> on Google. And then it kept going on about clams. <laughs> yeah, this one's underneath say um can you get a hair stuck in your foot can you get a dog hair stuck in your foot what can a giant clam hurt you can a (laughs) giant clam eat a human how to open a giant clam (laughs) where the fuck are giant clams like i didn't know this was such a problem (laughs) such a problem that google is like save yourselves from the giant clams yeah so anyway about a el duce getting hit by the train that 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 doesn't just i thought that every time i read his name and watched the video of the interview (laughs) the video of the interview yeah i was like same yeah getting hit by a train doesn't just happen um it says he got hit by a freight train doing 60 miles an hour which is basically an unstoppable force and seems like something you'd hear coming yeah so it's that's trains are loud as fuck yeah uh it happened eight days after the interview which for some adds fuel to the conspiracy fire Somehow, Al Jorgensen of Ministry knows what happened. He wrote it in his what a book that he came out with. I don't know if he was there. He says, El Duce got his foot stuck in the track, hence why I was looking it up and was learning about clams. clams. And, it's uh, not Amtrak anymore. It's clam track. Sorry. Oh <laughs> That's what it was. That's what it was. Yeah. So El Duce got his foot stuck in the track uh, while attempting to, to cross uh, after some fans called his name and he tried to go meet them. What the fuck are they all doing at the train tracks? I don't know. Meet me at the train tracks. <laughs> it's so weird. It's like, oh, look, El Duce, let's call him over. We're going to have a party. Um, his hmm. blood alcohol content was supposedly pretty high, too. So to me, it sounds like an unfortunate series of events, not so much another clue in the mystery. After all, it was only eight days after the interview and the Kurt and Courtney documentary didn't come out till almost a year later. So Interesting. Yeah. So after doing... All this work and talking to all of these people, even Broomfield still said that he didn't know enough to conclusively say if it was murder or suicide. He personally believed that it was suicide and that Courtney had moved on and it was just that nobody was caring for Kurt anymore. After after all of this, Jake came up with, he told me he came up with his own theory about what happened. Take it, was it away. something that I noticed that was kind of bugging me and I kept thinking about it. And so I ended up write, writing... God damn, almost a page and a half. That's the most I've written since high school. Wow, Jake, we're proud of you. Um, and I'm not the conspiracy type. I mm-hmm. They're fun to listen to. But beyond that, it's like I don't think about things mm-hmm. that <laughs> deeply. Yeah, oh. ever. <laughs> Most of the that time. I'm just right. like, I'm ready. Yeah, like I go to work. I go home. I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Done thinking. No need to think about things. Nope. Anyways, I kind of went down this conspiracy rabbit hole in my own head based on the shotgun so all right uh and bear with me well the audience can bear with me uh i will now torture you with my creative writing and uh reading aloud skills (laughs) so one thing that i kept going back to uh while learning about this whole conspiracy thing the uh 
Kurt Cobain's death and all that, because I really didn't know much about it, right. was the shotgun. It's a full-length shotgun already. It has a cuts compensator at the end, adding more length. And it got me thinking if it was even possible for him to have reached the trigger. So, then looking at the photos available of the scene, he's lying on his back, right-handed his side, kind of like he just laid down, not slumped over, sprawled out in an unnatural manner. The gun is lying parallel to his body, over his chest, uh, and his left hand is still holding the barrel, as reported by the police. Seems a little too neat and tidy to me. Uh, and don't forget that Kurt played his guitar left-handed. So he's holding onto the barrel with his with his left, left hand. hand. Okay. I thought that was interesting as well. Uh, I got a hold of my buddy Kevin and told him what I was doing and sent him a picture of the detective uh, of the detective with the gun. He helped me identify that it was indeed a cuts compensator, and then we started kicking ideas around. Now I have access to a shotgun, not the same as the Model 11, just a plain J no frills pump action 12 gauge. So I bust out a tape measure and start doing some extreme geometry there. <laughs> Keep in mind, it was not loaded, and I did not point it at myself. So no angry emails, people. Mm, yeah. That's basic gun safety. I was just, I stood it there next to me just trying to figure out height, height, yeah, yeah, distances, logistics. like, yeah, the logistics of it, if, if this was even possible. As I'm looking at it, it's a little bit of a stretch to the trigger already. And then uh, this is where the compensator comes in. It's adding what appears to be another four to six inches to the length of the gun. Kurt pulling that trigger is not looking good at this point. The barrel of the gun I'm looking at is 28 inches. With the compensator, you're looking at 32 plus inches of barrel, 36 plus inches to the trigger. Okay, so three feet. So three feet, yeah. I'm about the same height as Kurt, so it's reasonable to assume we'd have a similar reach within a couple of inches. There's no way he could reach the trigger without using something to press it, or at least his foot. Uh, On top of all this, it's still a shotgun. He didn't just hold it up to his mouth and pull the trigger. He wouldn't be laying there perfectly straight with it neatly in his hand. Uh, the recoil would have thrown the gun out of his grip into another location nearby in the room and his body slumped over in an awkward or unnatural position. It doesn't, didn't make sense that he was just laying there just all nice and neat. Uh, maybe Kurt was already high on heroin and passed out on the floor. Perhaps he had tried to OD judging from the amount of heroin said to be in his system. Or maybe someone had shown up to kill him and found him high, decided to stab him with more heroin to reduce any chances of him fighting back. Then, when he was passed out, just to make sure he was dead, stuck the gun in his mouth, pulled the trigger, laid the gun down, wrapped his left hand around the barrel, not knowing that he played the guitar left-handed, and planted the suicide note and left. So I want to point that out because I had to think about that. If you play the guitar left-handed, then you would be holding the neck in your right hand right and your strumming hand would be your left hand that's kind of like so theoretically like he would hold a shotgun be trying to pull the trigger with his left hand not his right and he would be holding it with his right hand right you would think if if you were left-handed you would would hold the barrel with your right hand and set it off with your left hand yeah but his left hand was holding the barrel which indicates that he was using his right hand to okay set off the trigger uh here's why that wouldn't work and probably why i didn't see much of any discussion about it Kevin and I managed to debunk my theory of the shotgun being too big. Kevin found a picture, looks to be maybe an old magazine-style ad from back in the day, that shows a Model 11 with the cuts compensator. In the ad, it states overall barrel length with skeet spreader tube 26 inches. Hmm. The skeet uh, spreader tube was an attachment for the compensator, so just added a little bit more length there. Uh, He then found another spec stating that all Remington Model 11s have a 14-inch length of pull. Now, length of pull is the measurement between the butt of the gun that you would hold up to your shoulder and the front of the trigger. All of those guns are 14 inches from that point to that point. So using that information, 
he was able to use, uh, utilize some extremely complicated mathematical equations and the latest in cell phone app technology <laughs> to extrapolate from the image of the detective holding the alleged gun that the barrel length from breech to end of the compensator is indeed 26 inches. That makes the length from the trigger to the end of the barrel roughly 30 inches, which we both confirmed is certainly well within the range for someone of Kurt's height to reach the trigger without any trouble. Hmm. Oh. And Damn. also, right, when you look at the pictures, Kurt's wearing socks and shoes. and He wouldn't no, have been able to use his foot. Yeah, you're not sticking the tip of your shoe no way. into the trigger. Unless you're wearing those toe shoes that the mountain people Jesus wear. Jesus sandals? No. <laughs> no, the ones, the ones that, that have like each individual oh, oh, cut. Yeah, Remember yeah, yeah, toe yeah. socks? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Fucking gross. Yeah, so he had shoes on anyway, so it wouldn't have worked. As for everything else, well, that's still up for debate. He likely set the butt of the gun on the ground which is the easiest way to set it off. Uh, I don't know how long it takes for heroin to take effect, but maybe he shot himself up with that huge dose to prevent too much pain uh, if he wasn't entirely successful with the shotgun. Or just as a backup, if one method didn't work, the other would finish the task. Hmm. So Yeah, that makes sense. If I was going to shoot myself, I wouldn't want to feel it either. Yeah, so heroin is... It numbs you. Yeah, no, what's that drug? It's Um, When it's sedative. Yeah. There's a word. No, what's the one they used like during World War II? Morphine. F- morphine. Yeah. So heroin. Heroin is a type of morphine. Kurt played the guitar left-handed, which we mentioned uh, makes having the barrel in his left hand look suspicious. It's said he wrote with his right hand. Hmm. Was he ambidextrous? Possibly. There are discussions about this on the internet. You lefties out there using your right hand to do things in a normal fashion. I can accept that. <laughs> uh, yeah. And finally, why he was laying on his back and not just sprawled out all weird and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when I picture someone, someone doing this, I imagine they just ragdoll. Not like the theatrical death, you know, in Hollywood where they gracefully fall to the ground right. before dying. Uh, however, as I go back and review the photos at the end of writing this, whole spiel i realize his feet are towards uh what looks to be a wall or a cabinet and that got me thinking again he's up against something heavy he may have sat on the floor braced the gun up against the corner of the floor in the wall that explains the gun still being in his hand and why he was just laying on his back so if you picture it just sitting up in the corner up against Right. He stuck the corner, the, he stuck the butt in the corner mm-hmm. right there, had his feet towards that object because you can see it in the pictures. He sat down on the floor, had and it, it in his left shot hand. Him, shot him backwards. It was certainly short enough for him to do it. He had it in his left hand, popped it, trigger with his right hand, and he just laid down. Damn. So that I realized that like literally as I was trying to finish this up and wrap it up i look back at the pictures i'm like oh shit there's like a wall or something there and now everything makes sense yeah so i debunked my whole the whole thing that was bugging me well, it that's all makes good. sense i now. mean people gather evidence and then they question it and then you have to do stuff like that the practical application or whatever to right. figure out why it could be true or not so i mean i think that's pretty interesting and convincing i do think there could have been more investigating done but that summary of it sounds pretty sounds yeah. pretty legit if the gun is much shorter because that was everybody's question is how big is the fucking gun that's yeah. what was bothering me and they me. didn't show they didn't release the pictures for a long long time so knowing that knowing that you literally have tried to reach that focal length and see if that's a possibility and it is then yeah that changes things because for yeah. me that was a big part of the documentary that i was like that's fucking weird 
that's weird. If he's not able to do it, then open the whole thing back up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. But the- if he was, then um, Kurt's public memorial was held on April 10th of 1994. This is fucking weird to me, but they played a recording of Courtney reading his suicide notes. Yeah. And then she showed up at the end and passed out some of Kurt's belongings to his fans. And then fans also showed up at her house. So she was mourning with them. Uh, She didn't make any public appearances in the months following his death. Now, Courtney received his ashes and split them into portions. Some were kept in a teddy bear, some in an urn, and some were used to make clay sculptures. She took his ashes to be blessed by Buddhist monks at the Namgyal Buddhist Monastery as well. Now, Kurt's mom also had a ceremony for him on May 31st of 1999, which is a little bit late, in uh, Olympia, Washington. And this is where Francis Bean scattered his ashes. She would have been seven at the time, um, so she was two when he died. On June 16th, 1994, whole, whole bassist Kristen Pfaff dies of a heroin overdose in Seattle, and Love has to recruit a new bassist for Hole's impending tour. And now she's lost two people close to her, and she has every right to be an absolute mess. Yeah. Like, she was losing it. That being said, you know, despite the tragedy surrounding Love, Live Through This, which was the album Hole came out with, it was a huge success and was certified platinum in April of 1995. The success of the record combined with Cobain's suicide resulted in a huge level of publicity for Love, obviously, but she had some quite erratic onstage behavior followed by legal troubles during Hole's world tour. In August uh, 94, Hole is performing live at the Reading Festival. This is Love's first public performance following Kurt's death. Journalist Jordan Peele. I'm oh, sorry. John- <laughs> 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 Journalist John Peele wrote, Love's disheveled appearance would have drawn whistles of astonishment and bedlam and that her performance verged on the heroic. Love steered her band through a set which dared you to pity either her recent history or that of the band. The band teetered on the edge of chaos, generating a tension which I cannot remember having felt before from any stage which I guess is good. Um, Over the following year, the band performed numerous shows with Love, appearing hysterical on stage. She had flashed crowds, stage dove, dived, and (laughs) got into fights with the audience. And didn't get arrested. Right. Shout out to Wendy O. Williams. Trailblazing. Yes. So a journalist in Boston noted that Love interrupted the music and talked about her deceased husband, Kurt Cobain, and also broke into Tourette syndrome-like rants. The music was great, but the raving was vulgar and offensive and prompted some of the audience to shout back at her. It's a concert. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I mean, obviously, she's upset and grieving. Can't we agree that, like, were she... If there were no contractual obligations for her to not be on that tour, obviously, she was not ready to go. Now, nobody was shit-talking the record label, ironically leasing an item called Live Through This a week after Kurt did not live through it. Wow. Like, yeah, that's fucking that's just bad placement. Stupid. So in January of 95, Love was arrested for disrupting a flight after getting into an argument with a stewardess. In, Ju- in July of 95, she threw a lit cigarette at musician Kathleen Hanna of Bikini Kill before she outright punched Hanna in the face. Nice. The allegation was that Hanna made a joke about Love's daughter, Frances Bean. But also remember um, how Kurt dated a chick from Bikini Kill, like way at the right. beginning of the story. Yeah. According to whole guitarist Eric Erlinson, he says they had a bulk 
candy backstage and he goes to Courtney. There's Kathleen Hannah. He said, you should offer her some candy. So Courtney grabbed the candy and just threw it at her. Nice. Everybody was like, oh my God, she punched her in the face. But from what I saw, um, this is obviously Eric talking, not me. She threw the candy and kind of slapped her in the direction of her face. Oh my God. Um, I don't know if she actually hit her or what. It doesn't matter. It wasn't cool. The whole tour started on that note. I just imagine this where <laughs> Courtney's like, like fucked up and she grabs a handful of candy. She's like, hair, bitch. I'm like, <laughs> splats it on her face so according to whole bassist melissa off (laughs) don't even come at me i cannot pronounce things is that what it is cool yeah courtney did a fake cat hiss like a joke you know like kind of like she's one of those girls who hisses at people she had the head headband with the cat ears anyway um you know it was kind of like a we're at war kind of thing like Making a weird joke in passing. And the next thing you know, there's like an explosion of arguing, maybe a shove that she couldn't remember. And Kathleen Hanna screamed at the top of her, screamed at the top of her lungs. I challenge you to a feminist debate in any university in America. And I was like, what is this? (laughs) Like, yeah, what the fuck? I don't know. This just sounds like a bunch of fucked up, like drunk bitches. All right. So Love (laughs) pleaded guilty to the assault charge and was sentenced to anger management classes. Okay. In November of 95, two male teens tried to sue Love, saying she punched them during a concert that year, and the judge dismissed the case on the grounds that the teens weren't exposed to any greater amount of violence that could reasonably be expected at an alternative rock concert. <laughs> Am I wrong for thinking that sounds like a reasonable no, response? No, I think that judge and I would That's be friends. pretty, yeah. It's like, you're going to get punched. You're, huh. on a, you're on a rock show. Yeah. Figure, well, you go to a, a show like that. There's yeah. a pit. You got punched once or elbowed yeah, got, or something. Been kicked in the head and shit. Yeah. The yeah so. Even if it was intentional, like, are you really going to sue over that? Like, come on, dude. Yeah. yeah. So Love later stated she had very little memories of 94 and 95 because she'd been using large quantities of heroin and hypnol at the time. Yeah. So now the whole, like, that's, yeah, like makes so much more sense. <laughs> I mean, it's funny candy. if you think you're being funny. Like, well, she was also fucked up. So yeah. she's just like he's so like, hey you funny. should hey there's kathleen you should give her some candy okay yeah. i'll challenge you a feminist debate anytime bitch yeah I, I can fucking see it in my head so kurt cobain had such a huge cultural impact his influence like we said in part one made alternative music into mainstream music he was a normal person he wasn't a celebrity dirty raw angsty he was like a regular guy and he was very unpolished kurt was relatable and as record exec jorgen larson says if anybody comes out of nowhere to sell 11 or 12 million albums you have to conclude that there was something there cobain and nirvana were the spokespeople for gen x and for the grunge wave and the faces of a movement that many feel was rock music's final era now if you travel to kurt's hometown of aberdeen washington a message from kurt welcomes you to come as you are they also created a kurt cobain memorial park February 20th, his birthday, is Kurt Cobain Day in Aberdeen. The guitar that Kurt played in MTV's Unplugged Sessions sold for more than $6 million, becoming the most expensive piece of band memorabilia ever sold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Francis Bean Cobain uh, lost the guitar and heard a voice with Isaiah Silva. Uh, he says oh. it was given to him as a wedding present while Francis denied that claim. Uh, it was bought by Australian Peter Friedman, owner of Rode Microphones, uh, who plans to put it on display around the world and hopefully get governments to devise programs to assist 
uh, artists struggling with mental health issues and other things. Well, you at know. least it's going to a good cause. Yeah, that's, a, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. You can't be mad But, like, that. are there any artists and musicians that aren't struggling from mental health issues? Well, no. I, that's, I think that's his point. He, <laughs> yeah. he sees it, so he's like, he wants to everybody. Yeah. do something to help that. Yeah, so. that's cool. Yeah. Um, and, and it was just recently announced that Kurt's childhood home is going to be declared a historic landmark. The owner of the home is currently turning it into an exhibit that tourists should be able to visit as early as 2022. And we are going to have that in an upcoming mini episode at some point in a couple of weeks that will pop on the main feed. Uh, Kurt had a shitload of posthumous releases, including Unplugged, that fans continue to delve into and obsess over, trying to analyze his mental health and his drug use through lyrics. Kurt's mother told him not to join that stupid club, the 27 Club, full of cursed geniuses, whose many members died of misadventure, depression, and drug use. And as Neil Young said, it's better to burn out than to fade away. As of the 9th of August of this year, 2021, um, the Seattle home where Cobain took his own life over 27 years ago has found a new owner. Three years after his death, the home sold for $2.9 million to Mr. Ewing Walter, a Seattle businessman. Walter, who was 64, and his family would remain in the historic home for 23 years before deciding to part ways with the property, listing the residence for sale at a pricey $7.5 million in 2019. Okay. Well, yeah. his childhood home um, is being turned into a museum that people will be oh, able yeah. to visit. So that's cool. And it's supposed to look largely untouched. Um, but yeah, like I said, we'll cover that one in a future mini episode in more detail. Okay, well, there you have it. You guys can share your theories with us. I believe you can comment on this post. So yeah, from the evidence presented, what do you think happened? I mean, I'm, I'm, I was, I was very conspiracy minded before we went into this. Yeah. Um, I mean, they accused, like, you know, with the Courtney thing, they've accused everybody imaginable, even like Dave Grohl. So like, I'm not, obviously it's not him, but like in <laughs> general, like people are going to say something that everyone else Whatever is the most spicy. Right. It was, I mean, there were some interesting work. things around it, but I mean, he, yeah. people are unpredictable and just because he wasn't telling everybody I'm suicidal doesn't mean right. he wasn't suicidal. Like, how are you going to use that as a theory? Well, he didn't tell me. Well... Nobody tells you everything. Yeah. The next episode that we're going to have for our main feed is coming out on August 18th. It's going to be Jerry Garcia and then of the Grateful Dead. And then we are also going to be releasing in a couple of weeks Mia Zapata on the Patreon feed. She's another one of the 27 Club. So I posted on Facebook earlier to see if anybody has any suggestions for mini episodes because I spend so much time looking for things to talk about and then I think of things outside of the show and then i forget what they are so help with mini episodes is appreciated we got yeah. some really good suggestions dylan said the downfall of danzig and his public image or the misfits in general he said one of the weirdest band histories like how they fired their drummer by for ordering a double cheeseburger instead of a regular cheeseburger and crippled their own european tour basically breaking up the band what i was like bitch <laughs> you said you had me at cheeseburger <laughs> I mean, double cheeseburger, uh, let's be honest. <laughs> we did get a vote for from Sarah. She said um, the conspiracy of Paul McCartney being replaced by an imposter. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I've been wanting to do that one because it's interesting. I just don't know if it could fill out a full episode. So definitely some mini um, material right there. 
Dylan said, another Dylan, the relationship between David Bowie and Jimmy Page is a great one. Bowie is consistently high. <laughs> he thought that Page was an evil warlock that was out to get him, which is interesting. Um, Shelby says, Michael Jackson, Freddie Mercury, and a llama. I have actually looked at that story as something to be included on a mini episode, but it really wasn't that long. I looked at multiple sources. Um, apparently... It was one or the other. Like, one of them is a diva. I think Freddie was going to record with Michael, and in the studio, Michael Jackson had a llama, and Freddie walked in and was like... A live one? Yeah. He was just like, excuse me, what the fuck? And was, like, disgusted by it, and was like, I am not doing this, and, like, left. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, but that's pretty much the gist of that story. Um, Somebody said the Millie Vanilli's returned Grammy, which I'll have to look into. I don't know what that is. Um, Megan said... There was a time when the Jonas Brothers lights display exploded and Joe Jonas was covered in broken glass but continued performing anyways. It's probably because they would whip him if he didn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> Those Disney contracts hurt. <laughs> yeah. um, I guess Anthony Kiedis had a weird childhood drug addiction, which is interesting. I mean, okay. probably. Victoria sent in like 30. I'm like, chill. Um, but she suggested that we cover Rebecca Black in general. And I'm like, fucking yes, sign me up. Um, and apparently B.O.B. is why why because her whole story is like fucked and I think after she got like super famous everybody hated her yeah for no reason she didn't even think anyone was gonna see that video yeah I really I think it's interesting I think it was just something her parents will talk about it yeah eventually but yeah a lot of lot of fun stories and another one from Elijah says that he's always wanted to know more about Lemmy's experience being Jimi Hendrix's roadie which sounds I didn't know about that yeah yeah, so a lot of good material. Thank you guys for the suggestions. It'll obviously take us a long time to get through all of those stories, but if you have any further suggestions, feel free to send us a comment or an email, deathbypodcastteam at gmail.com. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for helping us get this podcast to where it's at because we've been breaking records all the time. I mean, it's it's awesome seeing the numbers go up and seeing the followers and participation and subscribers go up. So thank you guys so much. Feel free to leave us a review on iTunes. Um, I What is it? Apple Podcasts. Yep. They help us a lot. And then if you leave us a review, we'll read it on the show. This goes out to the four listeners we have on Patreon. Thanks. <laughs> Wait, didn't you say Mike said something to? nice? Oh, yeah. Mike, Mike always says something nice. Should we save it for the main feed episode? Let's yeah, let's for, do that. Let's save, well, actually, yeah, I'll save it for the main feed episode because it was in regards to the Patreon. So I want his response to the Patreon um, to get other people to sign up <laughs> so we'll have to bring it to the normies oh yeah the normies yeah, you guys we, are the you guys the are specials. the elite yeah you're the death elite and uh they're the normies that's so. a cool oh we should make that a well you we have shirts but like death elite shirts would be cool yeah we'll get mm. we'll get all the elite members a pin for so. their metal jackets v, v, <laughs> it'll be it'll be r.i.p v.i.p or it could say like i survived death or something i survived death by music podcast that'd be funny well we'll, we'll spitball it we'll spitball it but yeah thank you guys so much for listening that was gross thanks so much for listening rest um, in peace later what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> Alex Watch out, they just put that there. Alex Hayhoehead. <laughs>
Music by Demons, at Demons Band on Instagram. Artwork by Mike Johnson. Writing and production by Cassie Gardner, Alex Motler, and Jake.